This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly on Christmas Eve. It's your one hour off from family duties. Use it wisely or listen to this. Stalemate at the top as Liverpool and Arsenal draw one apiece. Mo Salah surging towards the Gunners' goal late on with every member of Liverpool's 25 and coaching side running up to his right. He gives it to Alexander-Arnold who smacks the bar what might have been. Dominic Solanke ruins Nuno's first day at Forest. Bad news for them as everyone else below them picks up points. Three of them for Andros and his chicken feet over still-tired Newcastle and a win two for Burnley. That Fulham dream was quite short-lived. Sheffield United must be cursing after an excellent point at Villa, which could have been more, while Everton must be wondering how they left Spurs with nothing. Ange's men now fourth after three wins in a row. And then there's Manchester United, their worst start since 1930, all while City became world champions. We'll do all that, answer your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, bringing the Christmas cheer, Barry Glendening, welcome. Ho, ho, ho. John Bruin, Hello. Hello. Will Unwin, hello. Merry Christmas, everyone. There we are. There's some enthusiasm for you. Uh, let's start at Anfield. Liverpool won, Arsenal won. A win for either side would have put them top at Christmas. So a, a great result for Manchester City, really. A fair result, John? Yes, yes, I think so. I think so. Both teams went at it, didn't they, uh, at various points of the game. And I suppose in that, there was an air of them being frantic to... Keep away from Manchester City. I always think, I, I think with these, you know, Manchester City are away, you know, missed a couple of matches because they're off in Saudi Arabia. It often plays into these teams' hands, doesn't it? Because they're sat at home and watching their rivals slip up and City can just ride back in and cruise back into the title race. And there was this edge of that Arsenal and Liverpool were playing a title battle that didn't involve City. And we're really rather enjoying that fact have this idea that, yeah, yeah, they're going to be back soon, aren't they? And Arsenal started well, obviously, good goal by Gabriel. And then you've got to say Zinchenko, ouch. I mean, he was rather left exposed. It does show you the problem of playing a midfielder, essentially left back. Um, there, there are benefits to that, of course. Um, but I think the, the world and his wife knew what Mo was going to do there, didn't we? And then... The second half was, as I say, that used that word again, frantic, frantic, really both teams going at each other. Not a lot of chances apart from that one chance, Trent. And you sent us a video of, of you know, it, of the Mighty Ducks. And it was like that. It, it? Was, where they're all just charging and it's like, 
and the whole of Anfield is just like, yes, this is going to, oh no. And it just, <laughs> and it, it hit a bubble, didn't it? To be fair to Trent, as a result of that game and uh, Jurgen Klopp's um, rather unfortunate clash with Simikas and Saka or Saka, Saka's taking the blame for that. I think that's a little unfair. But anyway, as a result, I think we're going to see Trent playing right back again because Liverpool running out of full-backs, rather unfortunately. That is a, an absolute freak accident, isn't, isn't it? But I tell you what, I would not like to run into Jurgen Klopp when running full pelt, even though full pelt for me probably isn't that fast. Mm. I mean, that Barry, that chance of Trent Alexander-Arnold, it's such a weird bit of action, isn't it? Because you're sort of watching going... How are the whole Liverpool team? I mean, it was only three. It was Elliot, Gravenberch and him, but it just looked so weird. Well, it was five, wasn't it? Because you had Salah on the ball. There was a man to his left and then three to his right. And then Declan Rice was there like Jon Snow at the Battle of the Bastards <laughs> with you know, all these the entire army of you know, Bolton Ramsey, Ramsey Bolton's army bearing down on him. And he just pulls his sword out. Uh, you know, Declan Rice is a very, very good player, but there's only so much he can do. And Liverpool should have scored that opportunity. We, we are going to be charitable and say the ball took a little bobble before um, Trent Alexander-Arnold struck it. And, he, you know, you back him to score that chance nine times out of ten. So I think it was a very evenly matched game. I think the draw was a fair result. But I also think, Arsenal probably got away with it a little bit when you take that into account take the the penalty Liverpool didn't get into account um, which at the time I didn't think was a particularly egregious decision and then having seen it a few more times going what on earth why wasn't that given I don't understand it and you know Arsenal's record at Anfield is not good Mikel Arteta was playing in their midfield the last time they won there and and I'd say he'd love to have been playing there yesterday. But, um, yeah, really enjoyable game. Fair result. And, and as you say, a good result for Man City. Yeah. Chris says, if Mikel Arteta gets so angry about refereeing decisions, why wasn't he really angry about the <laughs> Odegaard handball? Dr. Eddie says, as an Arsenal fan and fully paid up member of the If That's a Handball, the Game's Gone club, could someone explain how Odegaard wasn't penalised for that handball in the box? It wasn't intentional, but it was a clear handball. Hashtag... Merry Christmas. I wonder if that evens out, Will. I think about the Trent chances bigger than Martinelli's, but they're they're two big chances in the game, aren't they? And then there's that handball, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold does push Havertz over, sort of, I think, quite blatantly. So I don't know, you know, if, if at the end of the game, everyone can say, well, you know, we all got away with a bit in this match. The beauty of decisions balancing out like they would have done pre-VAR, this yeah. sort of very simplistic way of looking at football. No, we need to overanalyze every split second of any potential foul offsides. No, the glory, get it back to it all balances out in the end. Yeah, I mean, it all, you know, it was quite even on every level, as we've said, it was an even result. And, you know, it would have been probably slightly unfair for some of those decisions to go against the individuals. I think it was a handball. The defence from the officials was that he was trying to put his hand down to balance himself, which would have meant that it didn't count as a handball. But at the same time, it's very odd because his hand never actually reached the floor. 
So, I mean, <laughs> if that's how you balance yourself, you know, maybe during Christmas, potentially, whilst you, after you've had a few, you try and balance yourself, but you, you don't actually reach the floor needing to prop yourself up. Unless he can float, of course. Unless Odegaard is sort of, yeah, you know. Oh. That made me think, how many permutations of what is considered a, a natural position must there be? Because I've, not, I've, I've never considered that one, had you? You know, a, a natural position is you falling to the floor and a ball might hit you. I mean... David Ellery must have run through millions of these possible scenarios for the natural position. I think it's him in front of Kalina, just sort of, you know, there in gym kit going, natural position, natural position, yeah, unnatural yeah, position, yeah. moving his arms about. Kalina goes, yes, yes, no, yeah, no, they're, no. They're, yes, they're on yes. Zoom together, yeah, just... <laughs> It's it's like the the stop motion from you know Aardman Studios. Yeah. They just have a little plasticine model and they move the arm a millimeter to the left, then another millimeter, then another millimeter, and either approve or disapprove of each position. That could be the Christmas special for Howard Webb and Michael Owen show. Oh, really nice. On mm. an animation version. I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is a silly question, Will, but watching those two, who gives you the most confidence that they will? You know, they're both obviously in the title race. The title race is actually really interesting this season, and like one of these two could easily win it. But which of those two do you think gives you the most confidence that they they will? I would still say Liverpool, because I think there's more goals in that team, and that is what I generally base my views on: more goals equals more wins equals more points. And they have it, whereas I think Arsenal, with their collection of attackers, you know, Havertz is never going to be prolific. Jesus doesn't look like it at the moment. So I think with Mo Salah up there, you know, doing his bits by uh, showing Zinchenko up to be the central midfielder he is, um, I think they've got a bit more about them. And especially with Trent Alexander-Arnold, turning up all over the place, just creating, you know, starting attacks from anywhere he wants, from right back, from centre midfield, from left wing. Um, I, I just think Liverpool have got a little bit more of an attack. And I also think the Europa League is slightly less taxing on the on the body and mind. And if it comes down to it, that could make a little difference if Liverpool is still in the title race come March or April. I mean, it's interesting, actually, on Trent Alexander-Arnold that there are there are all these players. They're all so good. They're all like the the best hum, humans to play football, pretty much in the top one percent. And yet, pretty much everything comes down to him. Whenever you talk about Liverpool, yeah, he is so important, isn't he? He is uh, a friend of mine. Last night, we comparing him to Steven Gerrard. He's essentially become that. You know, he is. The, well, they do say he's the. This is the fact Liverpool fans think he's the scouser in our team, which does forget Curtis Jones, but there you go. I think this about Liverpool is that Jurgen Klopp is pulling what they used to know as the old Anfield kidology. And I think Jurgen Klopp thinks his team have got a chance of winning the league, but he's putting on this whole thing of like, oh no, we're a team in development, you see. Oh yeah, we're, 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 we just have to see how the team progresses. It's a process and all this type of thing. But you can see the determination within Klopp, the competitiveness within him that thinks City are a bit off it at the moment. We don't know how long that will last for, but Liverpool have a chance. And I think you could see in his behaviour on the touchline and his behaviour post-match, Sky interviewer, he asked him who the name of the VAR was and he said, I don't know. And he just says, I don't know, good name, and then walked off. There's this... I don't know whether it's rage over Liverpool just being a bit off it or 
or this determination. But I think there's something in between that. I think Klopp thinks that his team can do it. Um, I'd agree with Will. I think they're probably better equipped than Arsenal. Though I do think Arsenal are better equipped than last season. So both of them could go close. It all comes back to City, doesn't it? What What's Pep going to serve up post-January? Uh, um, uh, let's go to the City ground. Forest 2, Bournemouth 3. Great game. Ben says, has Solanke gone too early for a clamour? Um, it was uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's first game in charge, but another win for Sid Lowe's Bournemouth. Uh, we'll get to the refereeing decisions in a second, but two of those head, those two headers, rather, Barry, of the hat-trick was just sensational, weren't they? Yeah, wonderful headers. Reminded me of Danny Welbeck's from... The night before or the night before, whichever Christmas, I'm already mixed up in my days, but um, beautifully placed headers and clearly the work of a man who's surfing a, a wave of confidence that he's never had before in his career. He's always been a very frustrating player. Solanke, no one doubts his work rate, but he was just wasn't posting the numbers. I think his previous best tally is six. And he's already up to 11 or 12 now this season. And I suspect there may well be a clamour, as you say, for his services in January. And I think he'd probably be better off staying put where he is. There's a good interview with him in the Times yesterday where he was sort of explaining what we were all wondering about Bournemouth. You know, why aren't they as good as Sid said they would be? And he, he just said that, basically. And the Aerola's training sessions were so complicated that they were the players were too thick to get their head around. But, you know, it took a while for the penny to drop and now they're all doing what they were supposed to be doing uh, automatically. And then, interestingly, there's a fellow, John McKenzie, who writes for The Athletic. He's sort of tactics egghead. And he watches games and, and then writes these articles about them. And I just, he, he watches football on a, just a completely different plane to the one I do. <laughs> and I see this chaos. And and he's, his analytical mind, I, I don't know how he does it, but he had already identified the problem. And, and Dominic Solanke more or less confirmed exactly what he'd said. It's all to do with pressing and timing and triggers and lots of other stuff I don't really get. But, um, yeah, that interview's worth, worth seeking out. But, yeah, Solanke's having a dream season. And, you know, well, he started at Chelsea and then he went to Liverpool. Liverpool sold him to Bournemouth and he's changing hands for huge sums of money. And everyone thought, oh, he's he's not going to cut the mustard, but he's having a great season. I remember going to Solanke's debut for Chelsea. It was a... It was a Champions League. I remember when Chelsea were in the Champions League and they used to roll over opposition and have the time to bring on a young player to, you know, to make his debut. And I, I remember this last night and thought, hang on, when was that? Because it felt reasonably recently. It was in 2014. Wow. That, that you know, so he must have been 17 oh. or so yeah. uh, when he brought him on. And, it, and I remember there was a big, you know, uh, well, there was a clamour behind the Chelsea scenes about, you know, this guy is going to be the striker of the future. So I looked at that thinking, how old is this guy? Because I, I, he could have been anything from 22 to 30. It turns out he's 26. But, hmm. yeah. Um, and But, yes, the thing is, uh, 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 as Barry says, the raw materials have always been there. 
that was a great striking performance and it's good to see. Uh, really glad to see that he's got there after all this time. Yeah, I mean, the first one, he's on the run and controls that header. It felt like a Sheringham header, you know, a really clever yeah, run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dev header. The second, there's no pace on the ball. My understanding of the clamour question is an England question, not uh, who's going to get him in January. Um, either way, a, a shout for Watara's amazing goal line clearance at 2-2, right, from, from Gibbs White, which is an amazing piece of defending. And now, Will, let's get to the red card, Willie Bolly's second yellow for kicking the ball and then being trodden on by Adam Smith. Um, would you like to un, unpick it for us? Not much to unpick, to be fair. I don't understand what the referee saw. The ball goes in exactly the direction you'd expect it to go if he'd won the ball. And so that's fine. And then it's quite clear that he gets stepped on and that therefore the Bournemouth player did not get the ball. And if the ball was already quite a long way away, really, by the time that the studs made contact with the ankle. But it was very quick to decide that somewhere along the line, Bolly had committed an offence, which I don't understand. Do you think that, like, VAR has sort of changed the way that everyone views challenges like that, that you can get the ball and not be in total control and then take the player and think of Romero and Curtis Jones? But this is obviously very different to that. And I suppose the interesting question yeah. is, can you sometimes catch someone after a challenge and not be out of control? Because it, you know, he might have caught Smith if he'd been a bit later or a bit earlier to it, rather. And it still would have felt like, actually, that's not a foul. The idea, it must have been that he was somewhere reckless, but I just don't see it. He wins the ball, it goes away, and that's fine. He was in full control. He don't think he really knew exactly where the man was. Like, his the man's in this peripheral vision to his right and he's there, you know, far earlier than him. And it's just the speed with the decisions made where actually probably need to take a step back and think all that's happened. And, you know, it's 25th minute of the game, or thereabouts. It's very early on. It's going to have a massive impact. And every red card in the Premier League statistically works out to 0.7 goals to the opponent. So it's a big... It's a big moment. It's a big decision. And to do it, knowing that you don't have the backup of VAR as well, which he, he knows, to do it so quickly and so poorly, I find very odd. And then, I mean, all these decisions balance out, as we've discussed previously. If you are going to have 32 cameras in a football ground that could have been, you'd need one angle at about five seconds to pick that one up. Like, what is the point in not having it for the second booking? Just so ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. Why is VAR not allowed to rule on yellow cards? VAR appears to do everything else yeah. apart from yellow cards. What? Probably, probably slow down the game, wouldn't it? Too much. Yeah, eh? that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Got to yeah, keep yeah. the flow. Yeah, I mean that going. is a totally daft thing, isn't it? That VAR slows the game so down so much that there are moments like this, a second yellow. Also, those sort of really ridiculous ones where somebody boots it out for a goal kick. And then a corner's given. And like within yeah. half a second, you can tell. And obviously, we don't want VAR to be involved more. But then you're going, well, if, it, if you're taking 25 minutes for this handball, like, just tell him. Like, tell him. Well, I, I don't know why the VAR doesn't say to the ref, look, I'm not allowed to intervene here. But if I was, mm. I really wouldn't give yeah. him that red card. But, but, yeah. but Barry Howard is listening. Howard yeah. is listening. <laughs> But that is the Zidane headbutt, right? I mean, that's you know, yeah, that's yeah, the Zidane yeah, headbutt. Yeah, it, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, obviously, if VAR can intervene with cases of mistaken identity, 
And so could Forrest have just sort of had a word with the full fish and said, I mean, he must have thought someone else has committed a foul somewhere else on the pitch and he's mistaken that, you know, he actually thinks it was Willie Bolly and tried to get him kept on the and pitch actually, that way. like Adam Smith, right, should get booked because yeah. he is, he's bought that. Right, and obviously, you know, he's not the only player to dive, but he's completely trodden on someone and then gone down like he's been hacked. It's sort of clever play, but he should get done. Um, I know she's our mate, but Robin Cowan is a brilliant commentator, is what I thought from watching match of the day. A terrible result for Forrest, given the other results at the bottom, and we'll do those in part two, starting with Luton's victory over Newcastle. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. I now I've, I've edited myself in uh, after recording because Troy didn't send us a voice note about Luton Newcastle, and then so I said he hadn't, and now he has. So uh, this audio quality is slightly poorer than my uh, normal audio quality. Um, but we begin Luton's one win over Newcastle with Troy's voice note, uh, and then it'll be back to me as I was recording about an hour ago. Cheers. Yes, Max. Glad to make a, a small contribution to this week's Guardian pod. Your roving reporter from Kenilworth Road whenever you need me. 1-0, as we all know, a really emotional game uh, for obvious reasons. You know, a lot of support and love for Tom Lockyer. Uh, Newcastle fans unveiled a, a beautiful banner as well, message for support. So, yeah, there was loads going on. Fourth minute, standing ovation. Um, Luton were on the kind of attack from the off to be honest and they there's my first to be honest I didn't think I would voice record a, a, to be honest but I have just done it um they scored a goal from uh Andrus Townsend senior uh the number 30 in the loot on the Luton wing who found some great space in the box from a corner kick and a flick on from Ross Barkley to score from a header here's some stats for you um, you'd, I bet you never thought you'd get these from me either. Um, his first headed goal, his only other headed goal, was also in December, back in 2010. Not that I was counting the hours, the minutes, the weeks, the years, and everything else that you count, but maybe I was. But yeah, a great header, finding space on the back post. There was something about this game that kind of like, this was going to be the day that Luton were going to get their first clean sheet, were going to you know, beat a top side at home and we're going to carry all that wave of emotion that has existed for the week into this game. And they did. And and it was thoroughly deserved. Newcastle scored through Isaac. Boy, that looked close. I've watched it back on the TV. Boy, that looked close. But it was a, a victory for determination and everything that, that obviously the manager, Mr Edwards, has put into this team. And when Newcastle look back on it, they'll be disappointed because they never really got any gears going in this game. And apart from that disallowed goal and then a, a great save from a Callum Wilson header in the first half when he should have done better, um, Luton were amazing. Ross Barkley hit the bar. 
Jordan Brown hit the bar through some rasping strikes. Um, it was a little bit nervous for seven minutes stoppage time. I think I've gone over this minute, but I'm sure you'll cut me out. Merry Christmas, everybody. Take care and uh, we'll see you in the new year. I think, Barry, if you'd said five years ago, Ross Barkley would set up Andros Townsend for a 1-0 winning goal in the Premier League for Luton. I'd have really looked at you strangely. Uh, yeah, and there have been a pair of sensational signings for Luton. And Troy has told us about Andros's struggles to actually get a club. And he, he thought maybe that was it. His career was over because, he you know, out of sight, out of mind. He'd spent a year or more on the sidelines. But um, Rob Edwards gave him, took a punt on him, let him train with them, liked what he saw, gave him a short-term contract, which I would be very surprised if it's not extended. I think it expires in January. And he, him and Barkley have been a revelation for, for Luton. It's taken Andros a while to get up to speed fitness-wise, which is obviously understandable, but what a pair of signings they've been. And I have to say, I wasn't hugely surprised by this result. I think Luton rode their luck a bit. They, they were obviously shattered in the last 25 minutes of this game, but they managed to hold out against the Newcastle side, which we're obliged to say are also shattered. But Newcastle's away form is, is diabolically bad. They've lost four in a row away, I think, in the league and lost five of their last six in all competitions. Newcastle fans are, are remaining patient with, with Eddie Howe, but I'm having seen uh, Sunderland's defeat yesterday and how the Michael Beale regime has got off to a pretty disastrous start. I, I would love to see what would happen if Sunderland knocked Newcastle out of the cup, but um, I don't think it will happen. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Coventry uh, won 3-0 at the stadium in the light, didn't they, um, in the championship. Tom says, Bartley for England, not a question, more of a demand. Another clamour, uh, John. And that's he's looking the... so good, isn't he, Ross Barkley? That's another one from 2014, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that really was... It, remember, yeah, head of the World Cup, oh, we need, a, we need one of those players that's going to beat players. Let's get Ross Barkley in and maybe Gareth should... Yeah. I mean, the thing about Ross Barkley is it's fair to say that he had a a mid-career drift, and he perhaps wasn't as focused on the game as he might have been. But players come to the end of their careers and they have the ability of Ross Barkley. And if you remember, Everton, he was regarded as the rightful heir of Wayne Rooney and his talents and Gaza, in the team. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Now he's knuckled down and he's playing great football. And, in, in I mean, Luton games tend to be something of a, of a, a war, a morass, and Barkley just has that extra bit of class, that extra bit of timing on the ball. And uh, again, it, it's good to see someone like that, uh, like Andros actually, you know, back and, and performing in the Premier League. You two might know the answer to this. Why does it say on the back of Andros's shirt, Townsend Senior? Yes, he's a son called Andros. So he's sort of getting ready for Andros Junior. So there's, a, to, there's three you know. generations of Townsends. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I was going to say, actually... Um, I mean, there are three generations of quite a lot of people, I think. You know, yeah, but as, as footballers, yeah. There are, yeah there are, no, no, good, it, good point. There's, there's three generations of Bruins, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, um, Barry makes a, a point about Newcastle, uh, and someone drew my attention to this. Uh, remember when Eddie was manager of Bournemouth, and they would go through these slightly bad runs, and they would have a lot of injuries and players lose form, maybe 
the intensity with which he trains and asks of his players is maybe catching up with them. Obviously, they've had the Champions League, which is a huge step up for them and turned out to be both thrilling and a disappointment. I don't think there are many questions over Eddie Howe till at least the end of the season. I think they've got full buy-in from the owners. The fans do still love him, but I do think, yes, doubts might creep in and if Sunderland do win, well, let's see then. Yeah, that's a good Mm. point. Yeah, Alan Shearer wasn't happy with Newcastle's effort on Match of the Day. Perhaps he'll ask for that letter back. Um, on uh, Tom Lockyer... Um, has, has, has he actually read it? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, on Tom Lockyer, I mean, Rob, Rob Edwards said, no coaching badges prepare you for how to handle something, something like this. And it is great, actually, Will, to see someone showing real heartfelt, not just sort of chest-pumping bullshit emotion, but real genuine emotion in public and not be ashamed to do it. And, and I... I just think Rob Edwards has handled this as well as anybody could this last week. I mean, from the first moment, he was very impressive. Gets on the pitch and tells everyone to get away because you can understand, obviously, the players concerned both sides. You want to be you know, there for your teammate, but it doesn't help anyone in these very serious situations. You've got to let medical staff have have as much space and you know without the gaze of even more people on them. And that was you know, very quick of thought in such circumstances. It shows that he has a wider perspective on the on life I, I would say and yeah since then he's spoken very well to everyone at Luton spoke very well of the medics the fans Philip Billings coming through a lot of praise and rightly so and it has been you know done exceptionally well on every level and as you say Rob Edwards these people you work with every day very close with and I think in football it different to you know most working environments that and you are relying on your, your teammates to be there for you and you know, you're there for your teammates and you do have a, a strong bond generally in dressing rooms. And it shows that, you know, when one of you has a bad situation, whether it's an ACL or, you know, in Tom Lockie's case, a, a cardiac arrest, that it does impact players and to, to be there and to understand, you know, what not just Edwards himself is going through, but Lockyer and also the Lewin squad has been, you know, interesting and they've you know, fronted up when they don't have to you can't go into your, your shell a lot of time when these serious incidents take place but he's been very good and very open and you know I think everyone from top to bottom at Luton and, and Bournemouth deserve a lot of credit for the for the week that's been and then to put it together on the pitch on Saturday when obviously they've harnessed the emotion but you know those things can always go the other way where you get a bit too up for it and you know you can tie very early on you know overexert and you know not not be focused on the match because of everything around it but yeah it's, a, it's been a, a good end to a very bad week for, for Luton uh, To Craven Cottage uh, Fulham nil Burnley 2 um, uh, John you were there I mean brilliant win for Burnley I had to soak up a lot of pressure but two suits fantastic goals Well th- actually they had to soak up a half of pressure uh, in which Fulham were dominant and uh Having said, I saw Burnley early season at Brentford and I did think, oh, they're playing the same as them where they soaked up pressure and then couldn't create anything else. Uh, but I did see actually a marked improvement in them. And yeah, those goals were beautiful. And the thing is, they'd actually been a, a, a bit of a warning shot before that. Is it Amdouni that fired a shot wide? It seemed like it was whistling in. And then Odebur's goal, a real beauty. And Sander Burge, Bern Lano will be disappointed with that, you might say. 
Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed Burnley's performance. James Trafford was excellent in the first half in goals. Plenty of what you'd almost say traditional Burnley-style blockings uh, when, when Fulham were throwing uh, themselves at it and, and, and Burnley players were throwing themselves at the ball. And I was delighted for Big Vin, actually, not least because of his post-match press conference performance. And I'll tell you about this. Now, obviously, the story of the day uh, is Rebecca Welsh, the first ever Premier League uh, woman referee. Part of my job was to get uh, quotes on the first ever Premier League woman referee. Marco Silva is asked, OK, what do you think about the referee? He gives us two words. I've got to fill 450. And he says, <laughs> normal performance, gets up, leaves a room. OK. Now, I think that means that Which Marco... Which in a way is good, right? In a way Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I was going to say, know? yeah, I think he approved of the performance. So Marco Silva has been booked an awful lot by referees this season. So the fact he wasn't booked by the referee probably showed. Um, but thank, thank, thank the Lord for Vincent Company, gentleman and scholar, who delivered you know about 150 to 200 words of absolute gold. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Vincent Company, in which he talked about it. You know how he was so glad to be there, and one day that won't be such a special thing, but there always has to be a first. Fantastic. You know, I, I've been crit- critical of, of company. Uh, I felt that he hasn't learned his lesson in the, uh, this season. But, yeah, Burnley looked at a better outfit. Fulham clearly missed Willian uh, and Raul Jimenez. Uh, amazing that we can say that now that a team misses Raul Jimenez. But <laughs> there, there we go. That's that's one of the good news stories of the season. Um, but, yeah, all credit to Burnley. And, yeah, uh, all credit, of course, to uh, Ms Welsh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, been, it's been a quick ride since she got into the EFL. 2021 was her first game in, in League Two, I think. But yeah, you are right. Like all those cliches you say you can't be what you can't see are absolutely true. And it is brilliant. And she had a good game and well done. Sorry, just one other little word. Um, Rebecca Welsh obviously became the first ref to or female ref in the Premier League yesterday. And on Boxing Day, although I am obliged to paraphrase and call it Stephen's Day for our Irish listeners, uh, Sam Allison will become the first black referee to ref a Premier League game since Uriah Rennie 15 years ago. Which which game is that? Do we know? Uh, Sheffield United Luton. Well, I, I will be at that as well. Oh, right. so, I mean, it's uh, insane. It's insane that it's been so long, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. sort of a total madness. It is a good thing, but it sort of feels unbelievable. Uri Rennie is one of those uh, referees that is really well remembered by players. You find, you know, hard but fair is the uh, was a reputation he had. I don't think yeah. I remember he refed a Cambridge game. And he was by far the most famous person on the pitch. Everyone was very <laughs> excited. It was Uri Rennie had absolutely tremendous thighs. Anyway, to Villa Park, Aston Villa won, Sheffield United won. I mean, it's a terrible Saturday for Sheffield United after a brilliant point, Will, uh, which could have been more at fifteen wins in a row, Villa, because they lose ground at the bottom. If they could have just held on for one more minute, it would have been a it would have been a smash and grab. But like, it's great to see all these three sides actually like pushing, and and this has to be go down as a good point for them. Speaking earlier of the future of England's midfield, sort of circa two thousand fourteen, and Friday night I was actually at Stockport, not not County, where we saw the future of England midfield circa twenty twelve, which was John Bostock playing for Notts County, and Nick Powell came on for Stockport County. So, you know. It was, if it, for for all football manager fans, it was, what a night out it was. I was watching. Um, I was watching Cambridge beat Exeter, 
and Tom Carroll uh, was in wow. the centre yeah. midfield for Exeter, who I once, I think, on the pod described as the next Jabby Alonso. So nice yeah. ball player, a good player. Yeah, lovely Carol. player. He looked uh, yeah. really good. Um, he came off the bench, looked great. Anyway, uh, yes, the point for Sheffield United, Will. Good point for both sides in the end. Yes, um, yeah, Sheffield United have actually massively improved under Wilder. I was quite open, saying so it won't make much difference who they bring in but he does seem to have brought a lot more of organisation a bit more grit and fight to Sheffield United because you know you go to Villa Park after their home run and you think they'd probably just roll over um, but no they were they were very good and weren't even settling for the point you know felt they were still going you know late on to to get that goal and, and managed to get it from Cameron Archer but you know say Villa made a Strong stuff, and the game seemed to injury time went on and on and on for them, and they managed to get the equaliser through Zaniolo, which is you know, good for him. But maybe it's a sign that it's been a long, long first half of the season for Villa, and you know a few lessons to be learned from games like that. Um, I still think Sheffield United to go down, obviously. John will find that out on Boxing Day, but you know it's, it shows the competitive nature of the Premier League, which is. Which is good. Which sometimes I feel have sort of been lost this season. Shows that anyone can beat anyone. Shows that anyone rather can draw with anyone. Anyone can draw. <laughs> That's the tagline for the Premier League. That's how they sell the TV rights. Give it us, is, give uh, us eight billion pounds. Anyone can draw with anyone. Will Liverpool draw with Arsenal the weekend? Of course they will. Um, that that cross, John from Douglas Louise is Douglas Louise is so good. But you wonder if Fotheringham needs needs to come I mean I don't know if that's too much is that too nasty to him in the 97th minute yeah he's had a good game as well hadn't he mm, yeah, uh, yeah 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 um a word on Cameron Archer's finish yeah. nice wasn't it really the shuffle of the feet I I, I mean I, I saw him score a goal for uh for Villa at Chelsea and just thought what a finisher he is and then they sell him he did actually an actually reasonable celebration, celebration against his old club, like a big smile. He didn't hide the fact he was delighted to score. I think he's a real talent. Maybe he's one of those players that is just a really neat finisher, but um, I was glad to see him score that. Unai Emery, when he's annoyed, he's just so good to watch, isn't he? <laughs> you know, when, they, when they, they cut to him on the sideline, I mean, there is the look of Steve Coogan as if he's got downwind of something he doesn't like. You know, that sort of... The expression is this sort of... Some sort of character actor performance that Coogan's put in. And he, he just looked so annoyed at various decisions and then, obviously, the concession of the goal and then the, the fact that there wasn't another 85 minutes played at the end of the game, which, you know... <laughs> which, I mean, the game went on forever and ever and... Having watched the City game before that, it was like, this night of football will never end. But um, it seems to me matches at this time of year do go a bit crazy with stuff like that, don't they? I don't know what it is, but... Or maybe it's just maybe it's just the magic of the Premier League, but the magic of the Premier League plus the magic of Christmas equals just total just total madness. Yeah, yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Hallmark Premier League, <laughs> exactly brought to you by Channel Five. And that'll do for part two. Part three will begin at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Tottenham beat Everton 2-1. Good weekend for them, given that... Uh, no one above them won. So they're now four, three points behind Villa and Liverpool, four points uh, behind the leaders, Arsenal, a couple of points ahead of City who do have a game in hand. Um, Will, do, or anyone, does anyone know, I'll start with you, Will, how Spurs managed to win this game? They're at home. That always helps. Um, yeah, Everton have been so good recently. I've, I've seen them quite a few times. Um, I was at Burnley last week where... They're just such a, an efficient machine under Dice. They know what they're doing. Everyone knows what they're doing, and they've not conceded in four, one four straight games. No, no goals conceded. It's quite a, it's quite impressive that Spurs managed to get get two against them. I don't know. It's you know those odd moments of quality always help, but I think you just have to mark the odd one down. You know, in in a league where every team can draw against the other. They were very unlucky not to come out of it with, with a point, um, Everton. But Spurs have finally recovered to and worked out a way to play competently without Madison. And that's going to help them going forward for the next few weeks until he gets back. But I think Everton, considering the state they were in when the points deduction came in, it's uh, a great position to be in now. And even even if it was a loss for them, that Daishi showing actually is a very good manager. He, even if it occasionally looks quite simplistic, he knows what he's doing and you know, he'll take one on the chin um, from Saturday. Yeah, I thought they played really well, John. And, and like Dan Juma, like that, at first he, he I think, I think Dyer blocks one chance and then Vicario makes a great save and then there's that one right at the end and it is millimetres, isn't it? Yeah, Everton go away to Tottenham and, and almost dominate them. That, that's almost like a reverse of what you'd expect from Ange Ball, isn't it, really? Well, I think I think that uh, having like read a few people who sort of were there, actually Tottenham really had quite a lot of it early on. Obviously, they t- went to, when, when they went two up, but the chances were Everton. So when you watch like a, a cut-down version of it, it looks more dominant perhaps. But I did think Everton were the better team from what I saw. Yeah. The, the, I, I saw this question. I hope I'm, I'm not jumping ahead. Uh, Andre Gomez... I'd forgotten about this guy. Another another face mm. of 2014, possibly. But, um, you know... What a hit that was. What a hit, yeah. And he seemed to be everywhere when he came... You know, it was like... I forgot about him because he was quite a good player, wasn't he? He was at Barcelona. Uh, he was reasonably popular at Everton, I think. Then, uh, again, I had to look. He was on loan last season. And then... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with it. The Everton... 
one of the reasons Everton are in so much trouble is they bought all these players, and it is possible they still own all these players, and we've just come to keep unearthing him. It's like, oh, oh, we've got this guy. All oh, right, well, we'll get him in there. Uh, he doesn't seem the most Daishian type of player, but he looked quite decent there, and yeah, a good goal. Well, good, good to welcome him back anyway. Yeah, on on Vicario Barry, he does. I mean, you know, a new keeper is uh, it's massively important, and you sort of feel like if that Danjuma shot hit the bar and Anana was underneath it, his knee would have just been a bit further back, <laughs> wouldn't it? You know, like maybe you need a bit. Or of luck, he's just been really... hit the top of his head and bounced. Into <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Back of the but neck. he's been he's been so crucial for Tottenham actually. Vicario, he's made some brilliant saves at moments in this game. He's been an excellent signing for someone who was relatively unknown, certainly in the UK. Well, he was certainly unknown to me because I'd never heard of him before he went to Spurs and he's been one of the signings of the season. Doesn't make too many headlines, but he's just incredibly competent, does everything you'd expect of him and a little bit more, doesn't seem to have many mistakes in him and, uh, yeah, great signing. Mm. And, like, from a Tottenham perspective, Will, no one thinks they're in the title race, but they are really close. And they're winning, you know, they had that bad run. They've now won three in a row. They're missing a lot of important players yesterday, like not just Madison and, and Van der Ven, who's been out, out for a while, but Basuma and Doggy were out. Like if they can win games against form teams where they have that many players missing, and they'll miss a lot. AFCON, they miss Sar and Basuma and, and Sun goes to the Asia Cup. But they are they in it? Are they in the mix? No, obviously not. Clearly not. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're getting a bit giddy here, aren't you? About... No, I'm not getting giddy. I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm, think, I'm, I'm I don't not, think... No, no, no. Okay, I am getting a bit giddy, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think anyone is brilliant. And I think, like you were saying about Klopp, he really thinks they could yeah, do yeah. it. I, I, think, yes, yeah. I feel the same with Emery and I feel the same with Ange. I think they're all looking at this and going, look, we need a lot of luck with injuries, etc. But no one is totally on it. We obviously need City to keep screwing up but I yeah. think all those I think Arteta's a bit more bullish I think Arteta he's sort of well, he well, has to the be, yeah. Last yeah. Year. they can't yeah. say oh we're just developing but I think Emery, Plop and Ange are all sitting there thinking with a bit of luck we could be in this and actually Tottenham don't play anyone in the top seven until March so that that is quite interesting that's, that's, your, that's really good analysis Max well done thanks I could be a panellist on a podcast you could, you could. yeah you could yeah. that was really good <laughs> sorry Will I think Spurs were daft need to add a two very good players in January, which is always very hard. Yeah. Where? They've got the squad for it. Where? In the playing staff, John. No, but... but, but <laughs> I, I, I think they'd need an extra winger for a, a bit more options going forward, and I think they need a central midfielder. I think central midfield has been... A few issues, obviously, due to injury and whatnot, but I think, with, especially, say, with Sar and Basuma, you'd need someone in there. Can cover that, but also take them forward. I don't think Lacelso probably going to be the man long term. I think that would be the area. You know, Ollie Skip came in at the weekend, and he's not going to be a top four regular. I would argue no, for his no. career. So no, I, I think central midfield right. and a bit more yeah. options out wide. If Benton Coe gets fit, he's an absolutely delightful footballer. Um, anyway, anyway, we shall see. Uh, let's. Go to the London Stadium then. I remember oh. it's a, you know, Manchester <laughs> yeah, Sorry, John. Do you want a, a Christmassy United a shite? I mean, why not? I mean, before <laughs> oh, we get to, okay, before we get to United, Barry, that pass from Paqueta is the just the best bit of this weekend. 
Um, there were there were a few nice passes uh, around about. I, I noticed a few players playing lovely little through balls, balls of over the top with the outside of their left boot, which is always my favourite kind of pass. Mm. But yeah, Dwight but, McNeil did one, I think, didn't he? And obviously, yeah. Uh, um, I can't remember exactly who off the top of my head, but uh, Paquette is something else. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I remain perplexed about. It. I vaguely remember a time when he was up to his neck in allegations about illegal gambling and there was a big suspension coming down the pipe for him and it never materialised. And I'm glad because he's a joy to watch. Uh, I think he's now provided West Ham's last six assists in five games and he, he can see a pass where other players just can't. But I still think the, the the ball over the top to Jared Bowen. Bowen had a lot of work to do, and the way he took the ball down, and we've seen him do this before this season, took the ball down, just killed it, stone dead with his first touch, and then had a little bit of luck with you know the Anana factor, uh, where Anana in the space of a split second morphed into his holographic self, and maybe I'm being a bit unkind there. It was just a sensational goal. And a good result for West Ham, obviously. Not a surprising result. And we're going to have to, you know, dwell on how terrible Manchester United are, aren't we? Even though they, they had 12 players unavailable through injury, illness and being, you know, in the bad books, exiled. What a fucking shit show that is at Old Trafford. Just from the, the top down and... You know, they're now being pilloried because their food approval rating is, is the one star. Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece on this game yesterday. I got, I think, two LOL, two lols, and a couple of involuntary titters out of it. And I, I texted him. I went, oh, I really, really enjoyed that um, piece of Man U. made me laugh. And, you know, me t- texting praise to, to Wilson is not a common occurrence. Uh, and he just his reply was thanks, but they make it so easy. Mm. And, well, he is uh, there for the laughs, as we established <laughs> earlier this week. Uh, our friend Autumn Florick saying, "How does Barry feel about having the same number of goals in the Premier League this season as Anthony Rasmus Hoyland and Mason Mount combined?" And John says, "As West Ham strolled past United today, I was thinking United would probably be no worse off now if they just stuck with Moyes." It would be fascinating in an alternate world to just play that out you don't sound like you want to John I mean maybe if we can go back in time there are more important things to do than that again we're back to 2014 uh, which was at the end of Moyes most of those games I actually attended and oh dear and it, it's getting to this point where you've got players like Kobe Mainu and Willie Cambuela and they're being exposed to playing in a struggling team that's just doing nothing, and you've got players that... I mean, OK, look at Anthony. Uh, Manchester United signed him, paid £80 million for him. Uh, Kudos, who uh, scored a perfectly good goal for West Ham, freely available from Ajax, has been for a couple of years. We've, all, we've He's one of those players that's like we've known about his talent. Why didn't Manchester United get him? Uh, a player like Rasmus Hoyland, again, a very talented player. There's no doubt about that. We've seen signs of that in the Champions League. He looks so quick, so eager. Yet Manchester United don't play to his strengths. There are a group of Manchester United fans that don't want it to be about the manager and say that we can't keep changing managers. 
the problem is, if you keep having bad managers, then you are going to have to keep changing managers. That's the problem. Now, obviously, we go back to the Glazers and all the structure of this, but someone has to take the uh, the blame for what is going on at the moment on the field, and that does fall to the manager. The one day a Manchester United manager will come in and be able to sustain the club being better for more than a season and it will appear like a miracle at this point so maybe we're looking to Christmas at this point maybe Big Sir Jim's move which was supposed to happen on Friday then happened yesterday then maybe happened today you know we've been waiting for that for years may change things but um, I'm boring myself talking about Manchester United I've had enough of them (laughs) I find it quite soothing Sean says, how much would it take for Barry to willingly eat a plate of undercooked chicken wings? Yes, uh, this is, uh, as we uh, referred to, uh, Manchester United have been told some major improvements are needed. I mean, that could go in any direction, but to ensure food sold at Old Trafford is safe to eat. And still not their biggest issue on the wings. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I was going to say, my memory of Manchester United was when you get a pie before the game, you could put it in your pocket, yeah, and at our time, you'd still burn your mouth on it. That yeah, was that was exactly. my that was the not anymore. The, not anymore. No. Yes, the Red Devils admitted a small amount of undercooked meat was inadvertently served during a non-match day event. Uh, yeah, the way it was being reported on the news yesterday, uh, I was on Talksport yesterday, and they went, you know, Man United have been cooking, eat, serving raw chicken as if it was on the menu. Like, <laughs> I'll have chicken a bob roll and a, and a <laughs> chicken tartar. Yeah, but I, I think I think the event in question was actually pertaining to food hygiene and oh, was catering it? or something like that. Yeah, oh, really good. That's but it timing. was quite funny because I, th- I think it was Mike Keegan from the Daily Mail who who broke this story and just the lengths fans will go to to defend their oh, club. Oh, my God. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Superb. <laughs> you know, how dare you report that we were serving raw chicken at Old Trafford. What about the raw chicken they serve at <laughs> Sellers Park? And, you know. What about the lasagna back at, back at Tottenham? <laughs> so good. Uh, you mentioned Sellers Park. They drew uh, Palace drew one, one all with Brighton. I, I hasten to add, they do not serve raw chicken at Sellers Park just <laughs> okay. before Steve Parrish gets the lawyers. Yeah, um, uh, it feels like months ago, that game, um, but a point isn't amazing for, for, for either team. Um Lovely header from Danny Welbeck. That that interestingly, sorry, just um, the the Palace game. That's the fifth one all draw in a row. Those sides yeah. of play in this in this the fair. hottest rivalry ever that yeah. turns yeah. out to be. You can draw with anyone. Exactly. (laughs) That's the point. Um, Yeah, Wolves Chelsea uh, today on Christmas Eve. No one should be made to work on Christmas Eve, of course. Um, uh, Let's see the FIFA Club World Cup. City uh, beat Fluminense 4 0. Will you are City? I mean, I'm. it's interesting, this expanded Club World Cup, and I think had it been going for 100 years, I'd probably quite like it. But at the moment, I really just can't I can't get into this, I'm afraid. But, you know, are you proud? Are you excited? Well, just to repeat, I was at Stockport County v Notts County <laughs> on Friday night instead of watching this match. Um, I appreciate it was a bit earlier. I was quite looking forward to it because I'd read it... I, it in in the style of, you know, looking forward to seeing Bournemouth because I'd read something interesting about them. I'd read... Uh, something interesting about Fluminense and the manner in which they play and the suggestion was they're like the Harlem Globetrotters of world club football 
and then they conceded a comedy goal inside 34 <laughs> seconds, and that was kind of that, really. Yeah. <laughs> Although it says uh, the Harlem Globetrotters might occasionally concede early and then dance yeah. about and you know win late, but they didn't in, in this game. Couple for Alvarez. Uh, he's only 23. He's already won 14 major trophies. <laughs> seems greedy. Give Harry Kane one, for fuck's sake. He's won everything that he can, I think, hasn't he? You know, he's going to have to yeah. drop down to win the LDV to complete the set or something. I'm sure City's charges will mean that. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. You see, but, yeah, yeah, but, um, you'll be fine. This event, I, I, um, I, I, I did the minute by minute by this, and obviously watching it reasonably closely, it was the the City fans. Uh, I was paying attention because it appeared that Saudi Arabia had has its own set of City fans now, and it was so the commentary was, "Oh, you can hear the City fans singing," and I was thinking that is not a Stockport accent. That is not a subtle accent. And they had their own sort of city song. It's like, oh, city, city. But it wasn't the one that I used to hear at Main Road. It was, and then it sounded a bit more like the, the Fluminense fans would sing. But then towards the end, when City had, were 3-0 up, I did hear, we're not really here, in Stockport accent. So there were actual city, city, fans, city fans who had been there. It's obviously been that weekend of Saudi sport, um, you know, including uh, Conor McGregor meets Cristiano Ronaldo. Look out for that, everybody. Um, it's not and, a documentary I want to watch. No, well, that's actually, that is a documentary I really would want to watch. Like one man ignoring the other while the other <laughs> chews his ear off. But yeah, it, I mean, it spoke, this was Saudi sports' big coming out party, wasn't it, this weekend, you'd have to say? From the Club World Championship and the boxing. Let's just say we've got to look forward to a lot more of this over the next 12 years. Is that fair mm. to say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Felipe Melo went in, uh, went at it with Carl Walker at full time, apparently because Jack Grealish was shouting ole during the game, <laughs> something he has denied. But quite yeah. funny. I've already seen on social media idiots saying that I started a mess, said Melo. I know how to lose. When you lose, it's time to keep quiet. I was very upset because I dreamed a lot about this competition, but I'm very proud uh, when the game ended, Grealish went after Martinelli. He chose a little guy. He has no balls to face a big one. Wow. Grealish was passing close to Martinelli and I saw them talking forehead to forehead. So I went after him. I pushed him. Walker pushed me too. I went to defend a teammate. I defended my institution. I will do this forever. No one will disrespect my institution or its athletes. No one will come and humiliate my friends or my club. I didn't want a mess. Grealish was disrespectful towards the Fluminense institution and I will never let that happen. It's like Barry at the Guardian, isn't it? Barry out there, when someone has a go at George Monbiot, Barry's like, oi, you lay off him. Well, this is the same uh, keeper of the faith, uh, Filippo Melo, who's sending off cost Brazil the World Cup in 2010 uh, when they lost to Holland. Stupid foul off. Yeah, I'd say Jack Grealish picked on the right target there, don't you? Uh, um Yes, anyway, well done, Manchester City. Uh, finally, um, Jack says, hi, Max. I just listened to today's Football Weekly. It was me you met in Fortune Street Park all those years ago, but I play the trumpet. This was, I thought I'd met someone <laughs> with a cello who played the Football Weekly theme. We made plans for my band to play My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas at the live show, but it never came to fruition. The offer is still there. If it's of interest, hope you're well and happy Christmas. So there we are. Uh, we could still, I can't remember the My Humps years. It feels like a long time ago. And Dan says, my birthday is on Christmas Eve. Could I possibly get an Irish birthday greeting from Barry? Merry Christmas to all the Football Weekly family. Uh, Barry, can you oblige for Dan? Uh, happy birthday, Dan. Horrible time of year to have a birthday because presumably 
you only get one present for the price, you know, price of two. Um, and yeah, I don't don't envy you, but um, Christmas baby, and you're not called Noel. What's what's going on there? Um, and that'll do uh, for today. Thank you, Will. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Cheers. Thanks, Barry. Thank you, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sardison. This is The Guardian.